Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about everything having to do with pregnancy and prenatal care and health care and politics and feminism and fatherhood and motherhood and all of it. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which you can pick up everywhere books are sold, and I really hope you will. All my best info, based on 20 years as a labor and delivery nurse, is in there, along with my take on pregnancy and birth as a feminist and mother of many. And speaking of labor nurses, I got an email this week from a labor and delivery nurse who is expecting her second baby and is trying to plan out the best prenatal care and birth plan for her. Midwife or OB? Birth center or hospital? She had a few complications in her first labor, and I thought, what better place to talk all that out than right here with you? So let's get Rachel on the phone. Hello. Hi, Rachel. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, Jeannie. I'm doing very well. How are you? Good. I'm good. So where actually am I finding you? Where in the world are you? Um, <laughs> I am in Michigan, in the in the, um like lower southeast Michigan area. Okay, I've been to Michigan once, um, and I'm not terribly familiar. So tell me a little bit more about where where you are, where I might be more familiar. Um, so I live in the Metro Detroit area. I live in suburbs of Detroit. Ah, okay, interesting. I have not been there. I know nothing about it. I'm really really intrigued. You should come visit. Okay. <laughs> it actually, it's a great city. Yeah. I think people, a lot of people have um, like preconceived ideas about Detroit, but um, the, the city's coming back. It is coming cool. back. So you should come visit. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a deal. I'm going to do it. There's so many places in, in our own country that I've never been. And when I get guests on or I meet people from those places, I kind of want to just, I want to get it through them. Yeah. But I digress as I do. Rachel, I had a chance to read your little bio before we got you on the line today. But as always, our first question is a hard one. Who are you and what do you do? (laughs) Okay. um, Well, my name is Rachel. And first and foremost, I'm a mom. I have an 18-month-old daughter. And I have a baby on the way due in November. Um, And I'm also a registered nurse. I've been working in labor and delivery for about a year. And before that, I worked with cardiac patients. So I've seen a little bit of everything. You have. You're coming into labor um, with a really good background. Did you do cardiac intensive care? Um, No, I didn't do intensive care. Um, I I worked on a couple of different telemetry units. So it was cardiac monitoring for uh, maybe heart attack patients or stroke patients, um, Uh things like that, other cardiac issues. So not intensive care, but close monitoring. So you get to see a lot of different things on those types of units. Yeah, yeah. And you get a really good, solid medical foundation underneath you. Yes, definitely. It's pretty different in labor and delivery, isn't it? Yes, it's an entirely different world. And it's funny because you can, you just see the difference between like different types of units. And if you have a pregnant patient in another area of the hospital, people are like terrified. Oh, (laughs) I know. Terrified of the pregnant people. They don't even want to touch them. And then you come to labor and delivery. We just welcome everybody. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that a patient 
won't get quicker care than if they're pregnant and they come in through the emergency room. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it could be flu season. It could be full moon Friday night. It could be the carnivals in town where all the madness is happening in the ER. And if you're a pregnant woman and you walk in there, mm, you get shipped right up to us. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's funny. Well, so you reached out via the interwebs and you wrote me a really great letter. And our listeners love, love, love it when I interview labor nurses. And since you and I had so many great things to think about in your letter, I thought that the first thing I should do is maybe read it. Is that okay? Yes, that's great. Okay. And um, I'm just going to I didn't mention this earlier, but you guys are going to notice a habit that whenever I talk to labor nurses, we do a first name only basis because you never know what's going to happen when you go back to the hospital. You just never know. So it's Rachel, first name only. And Rachel wrote, hi, Jeannie. Thanks for a wonderful podcast. You're welcome. I've been working (laughs) on... An LDRP unit, that's Labor Delivery Recovery Postpartum Unit, for the past year, and your podcast has added an amazing amount of knowledge to my practice. I'm also applying to start a certified nurse midwife program in the fall. Keep your fingers crossed for me. I will. I'm emailing (laughs) to ask you for some advice. I'm currently pregnant with my second child, and I'm established with a really wonderful midwife OBGYN group. Unfortunately, the group is separating. The midwives that I see are soon going to be employed by a specific hospital instead of their current group. I want to continue to see the midwives, but if shit hits the fan during labor, then I would be transferred from the birthing center to the labor and delivery unit, and I would be covered by whatever physician is staffed there at the time, since the midwives will no longer be in practice with the OBGYNs that they are with now. I know what a huge gamble it is being treated by a staff physician, especially since I work with some great ones and some that I would run from if I was in labor where I work. And I definitely have a chance of being transferred to labor and delivery because with my first daughter, I had blood pressures in the 180s over 100s and postpartum 200s over 110s. I was classified as gestational hypertension, but I believe I could have been preeclamptic. My doc at the time, who is in a totally different practice than the one I'm established with now, kept saying, you have no protein in your urine, so you're okay. And I didn't work in labor and delivery at the time, so I didn't know to challenge her and say, that's not required for a diagnosis. Anyway... I am so nervous that if I decide to stay with a midwife and things go badly, then I could be covered by a staff physician that won't listen to me or respect my wishes or even worse, one that's a C-section enthusiast. My other option is to go to an OBGYN that I like with my current practice. She has a great reputation and would respect the things that I want, low intervention, intermittent monitoring, etc., And if I develop blood pressure issues again, I would have a lot of trust in this physician and her entire practice. Plus, she delivers at the birthing center I want to go to so long as I stay low risk. I can have that opportunity. However, I love the mindset and practice of a midwife. My first birth was with an OBGYN, and I really want the experience of delivering with a midwife. What is your advice? 
I don't know if I should risk it. What are your thoughts? Oh, so many thoughts, Rachel, so many <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> this is such a great letter. Um, you're just you're just opening up a Pandora's box of issues. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> you really are. There are so many things, you know, and it, we could just take this letter line by line and talk it through. First of all, it's really, I'm very honored that the labor nurse community is embracing my podcast. And I really, really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, so you are applying to start a midwifery program in the fall and your baby is due when? <laughs> I know I'm crazy. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm right there with you. I just want to know when is your baby due? November 14th. Okay. So it's kind of like towards the end of semester, but before finals, like I would be on maternity leave during finals, but my plan is to take it super slow and just start with one class. Like uh -huh. I'm not in a rush to get this done. So. Okay, good. Yeah, so you, you can. I'm just going to do it slow. And, oh yeah. Yeah. The okay, program good, that good, I'm good, applying good. to, you have six years to complete. So my plan is to just take it slow and truly learn the material and understand it and wow. to try and rush through. Yeah. How humane and woman-centered. That's great. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, right from the start, you you had me there because I um, got pregnant with my first daughter when I was in nursing school. And then I had her and I was, I took some time off for maternity leave. But before I went back, so, you know, I had to like skip two semesters so it put me back I don't know less than a year later to to start back mm -hmm. on my nursing school track I was pregnant again with my next daughter they're 18 months apart and I had her three days after I graduated from nursing school and oh boy <laughs> three weeks before I sat for my boards <laughs> it was crazy yeah, yeah it's a lot yeah I met a woman recently who um finished her midwifery program. And I don't remember what state she was in, but it was a really intense program where you had to have the whole darn thing done in like 22 months or less. And Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And she did it. And during that time had a baby. Yeah. I see if other people are going to do it. I think I can do it too. <laughs> oh, yes, you can. Yes. You can. Absolutely. And your babies will be Not how far apart? 22 months? They'll be just at two years. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Yeah, I, moms are the best multitaskers. We have to. It's survival. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, well, well, we've got that first paragraph taken care of. I'm yes. crossing my fingers. I'll light a candle. I'll say a prayer. And we'll get you into your nursing program. <laughs> Thank your you. Program. So about advice. So this is where I have to, you know, say, this is just chat between friends. I cannot actually give you medical advice. And I really respect that you're an RN and right. I'm an RN and we're going to talk about it. But any decision you make is going to be based on your knowledge base, your gut feeling, and what's going to make you feel the best. Mm -hmm, so absolutely. you're pregnant with your second one and you are with a really great group that you like. You like your midwives. But they're separating, going their own way, and you can't deliver with them anymore unless you, okay, what's the deal? You could go with so, them. 
Yeah, I I can I can stay with them, but it's just the issue if um if anything happens during your labor and you become yeah. high risk and you need to transfer to labor and delivery, um the midwives will still help take care of you, but then there would be a physician on board, um which I'm not necessarily opposed to and um it just depends I, on who. It and de- that's the thing. And I yeah. think the wording in my letter, I don't I don't mean to say that I work with bad physicians. I don't work with any bad physicians, but there are like difference <laughs> in personalities. Yes. And how they respect your wants and your wishes and how yeah. quick they are to intervene. And so right. you, so you let have me just... no idea when you go to a staff physician, what they're like. Right. So what I want to do right now is I want to use this as a teaching moment for our listeners so that they're up to speed on what we're talking about. Right. So, you could go and deliver with these midwives at the birth center where you want to be. But if you have to be transferred, then you go to the hospital and you get whoever's on call. And it could be any doctor. It could be your very best friend one that you like the very best, or it could be the one who's been on call for 23 hours already and they're mm-hmm. wiped out. Or it could be the one that you had an argument with last week, or it could be anybody. And I know what you mean. You probably don't work with any quote unquote, bad doctors. But, you know, in any labor and delivery unit, there are the doctors that the nurses trust. And then there's usually one or two that, I mean, you're not going to, yeah, you don't want them. You don't want them taking care of you for whatever reason. Maybe they, you don't like their style. Maybe you don't like their bedside manner. Maybe they're rude. Maybe they're, you know, you never know. There's always one or two on a unit. So I get that. That's a big risk. Out of the, let's say, for instance, that you have 10 doctors that you work with. Out of that 10, how many do you like? Um, I like most of them. (laughs) How many of them would you like to take care of you? Let's say eight out of 10. Okay. Oh, that's a 20%. Mm, That's a little risky. (laughs) Just saying. But the issue is, too, is that it's not going to be at my hospital, so I don't know the physicians at, oh. at the, um, the other hospital. It's actually, it's kind of funny. So my the hospital that I work at, that's who I have my insurance through, uh-huh. um, but I'm going to be delivering at a different hospital within the same hospital system. Okay. So I don't know the doctors that work at the hospital that I would be going to. Huh. Um, if I were to go to the hospital, um, but since it's the same hospital system, we, I know like mutual doctors, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Just in the birthing community. So I don't know all the physicians that go there, but I know physicians that know them. So you kind of hear stories within, within the, um, birthing work world. So you do, you do, but you know, it's, increasingly becoming the model of care in hospitals across the country, the hospitalist system, where you have all of your prenatal care with one, you know, physician or midwifery group. But then when you go to your hospital to li- to deliver, you're going to get a hospitalist who is on staff mm-hmm. by the hospital. All his or her 12-hour shift is spent with, you know, laboring and delivering women. And you don't necessarily know who you're going to get. That's right. that's something people are facing all over the country right now. And certainly yes. in other healthcare systems around the world, nobody knows who they're getting ever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So there's that. Let's talk about what happened with you 
during your first pregnancy. Those are some okay. really high blood pressures. Yes, they were. It was scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was very, I was completely low risk my entire pregnancy. Every test came back normal. Every lab draw was perfect. So no issues at all. Um, when I went into labor, my water broke at home, um, and I wasn't having any contractions. So I went into the hospital and they took my blood pressure and they were like, have you ever had high blood pressure in this pregnancy? And I said, no, why? <laughs> They're like, well, your pressure is like 180s. It's pretty high. And I'm like, that's not, that can't be right. That's not normal. And they're like, you're probably just excited. Maybe you're a little nervous. We'll just recheck it. And it continued to stay very high. Um, and they did s some labs for preeclampsia, but not all labs in preeclampsia. Um, I know my uh, they didn't really check my kidney function. I know that they didn't check my creatinine, but my liver function was okay. Mm -hmm. um, and all they kept saying was, you don't have any protein in your urine, so you're not preeclamptic. Right, right. <laughs> um, but they ended up putting me on Pitocin just because my pressure was so high and I really, my water had broken. I wasn't contracting. So they wanted to, you know, really get me going and um, my pressures re remained high through my labor, and after I delivered, they they got a little bit better. Um, they actually they never treated me for my blood pressure though. They didn't huh. give me mag or labetalol huh. anything. <laughs> they just That's kind of let me go, odd. and they yeah, it's very very odd. And now that I work in labor and delivery, I'm looking back and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't like this would never happen. Yeah. <laughs> Hospital yeah. that I work so at, I many. don't know what the deal was. So. Yeah. It, it was very, very strange. And um, so after I delivered, my blood pressures did come down. They were like like 140s, 150s. And mm -hmm. when I was discharged, they said, you know, just like they, they knew I was a nurse and they knew that I would follow up. They said, just um, like check it in a few days. Go somewhere and have your blood pressure checked in a few days to make sure it's going down. Most women, you know, they, they pee and they sweat all that extra fluid out and it'll probably be fine. So, um, it was about a week after I delivered my daughter. Um, I had my blood pressure checked and it was like 200 over 110. Wow. And I was like, no, this is not good. So, um, yeah. I, I went to the ER and they, they really, they only treated me with oral medications there, which still I think is not appropriate for, for a very uncontrolled, um, postpartum hypertension. Yeah. Um, and then I was on labetalol for a few weeks. So they had me on oral medication for a few weeks and then I was able to transition off of that. So it was, it, it's a very interesting situation. It really is. You know, if we, again, yes. if we kind of pick this one apart for listeners that are a little bit less familiar. So a normal blood pressure, I mean, classic textbook is 120 over 80. Though many healthy young pregnant women have blood pressure that's much lower than that. And some women, even healthy women, have blood pressure that's a little bit higher. But 180s over 100s is definitely um, significant. And certainly blood pressure can go up when you're excited or anxious. Certainly it can. Still, 180 over 100 is pretty darn high. And yeah, I would that shouldn't make yeah. your blood pressure that and, high. Yeah, and I wouldn't go to that first and say, "Oh, she's anxious." How many times have we used that line when we're addressing women's significant health issues? "Oh, mm -hmm. she's just anxious." 
Therefore, we disregard her symptoms and her signs and we, you know, disregard her. And that's not cool. And then to look at a singular test and say, oh, that one was negative, the urine test, therefore you don't have preeclampsia. Well, you and I both know it takes a number of tests to make that diagnosis. And even still, you got to treat the blood pressure somehow. Yeah. You got to do something because then you're going to add the physical stress of labor. Then you're going to, on top of that, add some Pitocin and you're going to compound this. This is, yeah, a bit of a little mess there. I, I wish that it was. they had treated it was a big differently. Mess. <laughs> yeah. How are you now? How's your blood pressure now? Oh, totally normal. Yeah. After I, I was on labetalol for about like five to six weeks. Um, and after I transitioned off of that, have not had any issues. Uh-huh. Yeah. So totally normal. And so far with this pregnancy, it has been perfect. So, so yeah. far, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. I'm, I'm going to bet that you had some freaky weird thing happen in there and that it's not going to repeat itself. That said, I hope so. <laughs> that said, that was kind of weird. That's a weird thing you did mm-hmm. there, Rachel. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm like, I don't know what happened yeah, to my so, body. It just did. Yeah. It wasn't happy with me, I guess. No. And it was trying to sell, send you some pretty clear signals that something was yes. up. And you know, who knows what exactly was going on there? And we, in hindsight, you and I can both look at it and say, "Boy, that sounds like preeclampsia." Now. Hindsight, it's one thing, but you've got a baby on board now. And what direction do you want to go to move forward? So you're not with the same people that you were with with the first baby. Is that right? No. I'm, I'm, yes, that's correct. That was actually in a, a totally different state. I was living in Colorado at the time. So like okay. different practice, different state. So okay. we, ha- we had a big cross-country move. So Okay. Okay. So you're starting with people that are new to you. Yes. In one way or another. Okay. What, just from a right now gut option, just going with the gut, what feels like the most comfortable fit? Um, the most comfortable fit, what I what I really want is um, an experience with a midwife for this delivery. Is I just want to try a different experience as opposed mm-hmm. to going with an OBGYN like I did last time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my real want is to be able to deliver at the birthing center that I'd like to go to and deliver with a midwife there. Mm-hmm. That sounds to me like a really good plan. Mm-hmm. Now, my next question is, what if towards the end of your pregnancy, you start having some trouble again. At that point, do you have the option to transfer into the care of the obstetrician that you like? Um, you know what? I'm, I actually have to get, get some of the details because I, I just found out about this um, separation that the um, practice is doing. So it, I don't, I really don't know how the, um, midwife group would handle that because in the new group that they're forming, there are no physicians. It's just the midwives. And do they um, know about your pre-existing conditions? They do. Yes. They know about, um, my history and are they, you know, they've just said we're going to, yes, they said, you know, for now, since there truly wasn't a diagnosis of preeclampsia, it's just, 
it, it's just something we're going to monitor and watch. So if, if I were in labor and something were to happen where I become high risk, they just transfer you. Um, like I said, they would transfer you to the labor and delivery yeah. unit. Um, but I don't know if like, if you're not in labor, who they would assign you to, like who, and you became high risk, who they would transfer you to, because there's no, um, physicians within that practice. So, um, and I just found out it was like a couple of weeks ago about this switch of their group. So, and I haven't been to an appointment yet. Um, so, so I need one, to ask some more questions about this. Yeah. They may have a pre-existing um, arrangement with a specific physician who will take their transfer patients. If mm -hmm. that's the case, then you can just make an appointment you know, a getting to know you appointment during your prenatal care to meet that physician. That right. a lot, a lot of, a lot of midwifery practices do that. They have one or two doctors who, if their patient gets in trouble at home or at the birth center, they call up doctor so-and-so and that doctor takes their patient on board. That is, that's a possibility. Another possibility is that they could agree to go with you should you have to be transferred and help with mm -hmm. that transition process and sort of just be available as a resource person. I know that when I've had transfer patients come into the labor and delivery unit, if they come with um, a midwife, um, we know what they want. And as long as they're not in, you know, big scream in trouble, we know what they want and we're able to accommodate their, you know, birth wishes to the best of our abilities. And the presence of a midwife sort of just reinforces that. That might be an option, that you do mm -hmm. the midwifery prenatal care, you see how things go, and then, you know, see if they can help with a transition if that happens. There's a very, very, very good chance that you'll be perfectly fine and you won't need that. Yeah. But the other option that you mentioned is to just go to the OBGYN that you like at your current practice. Mm -hmm. It yes, you know. I've I I've seen her before. Um, like for my annual last year, I saw her, and then mm -hmm. um, for my um, first ultrasound, you know, they they do like the early ultrasound at your first appointment. She mm -hmm. did our ultrasound for us, so I'm familiar with her, and she's. Um, although she's obviously she's a physician, she's not a midwife. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are a lot of physicians who practice like midwives and patients that yeah. are appropriate that way. And yeah. she is a physician who practices that way in the patients who, um, want to deliver at the birthing center and they want the, you know, low monitors and, um, things like that and low interventions, mm -hmm. um, for the patients that are appropriate and want that for their birth. Um, she tries to accommodate for that. So it's, it's definitely an option. And then if something were to happen and I were to transfer to labor and delivery, then I know it would either be that physician or whatever physician in her group is on call, yeah. um, which a lot of them are, practice that way. As, I mean, I think a lot of physicians who work with midwives are a little more open to um, respecting a lot of patient wishes like that. Yeah, so I agree with um, you. I, w I would have at least a lot of trust in whatever physician in that group would be covering me yeah. um, because they would have seen me and known my history and um, know all my wants and my desires for my labor and delivery um, as opposed to a staff physician who you meet and then in five minutes they're taking over your care. Yeah, I I get that. 
I think that just the fact that you are a labor and delivery nurse gives you um, a little bit more power in your labor experience than, say, you know, the average woman. I think that mm-hmm. if you ended up with a provider that you didn't know, you would have a little bit more leverage to advocate for your own wishes because yes. yeah, I, you're I a have a little nurse. more confidence in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you can, you know, you have to figure out where you are most comfortable. It sounds to me like what you want is the midwife experience. And it sounds like they have a plan in place to keep a close eye on you. You need more information about the transfer process, but there's a good chance you won't need it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to decide how much uncertainty are you comfortable with should a transfer occur. That's for you to decide. And, you know, we haven't talked about your partner or your husband. Does he... <laughs> Do we have an he, opinion um, there? Uh, no, we... <laughs> it's, it's funny, we haven't even brought him up yet. No, no, um, we haven't mentioned the guy. Is, I know. <laughs> he, he is so supportive of my decisions. And, you know, he, he'll help me, like, talk through things I need to talk through if I need to make a decision. And he's like, whatever you think is best. I'm going to trust your opinion. He knows that I'm, I'm, uh, I know more about this situation and (laughs) um, I'm the one actually like birthing the baby. So he's like, well, it's going to be your decision, but he'll, he helps talk me through things. He's so supportive. So um, he doesn't have an opinion either way. Yeah. That's probably both a help and a hindrance, right? (laughs) Yes. A little bit. (laughs) If he had a strong opinion about what you should do, it would, you know, tip the scale for you a little bit. (laughs) Right. I think that this comes down to you needing to make uh, a decision about how much uncertainty you are willing to sit with. And, you know, even though you are a well-educated labor and delivery nurse, you you have inside information, you know how the system works, you know your body, you know how it all goes, even you. And me, we know we have precious cargo on board and we are afraid of taking that risk, even though. So that's something, that's something difficult, isn't it? How much risk do you feel like you can take in that situation? Yeah, it's a difficult decision. Yeah. (laughs) I, you know, I could give you my opinion here, but it's not my advice. I think that your midwives have a good plan in place. I think that that's something that's a good place to start. And that sometimes you can just keep saying yes till you have to say no. You can keep going forward towards what you want, which was the midwife experience, and hope that probably it's all going to work out okay. But then you have to make sure that you're going to be okay with, you know, a lickety split change of plans if that happens. And you know what? Maybe you could be okay with that. Maybe you could say, if that happens, I'm long for the ride. I'll take what I get, knowing that I'm coming in better educated and with more leverage than the average patient. I can take that risk. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's helpful. Is it? It is helpful. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. It is. It's just, you, it's just hard to figure out, like, it's just how much are you, 
how much are you willing to risk it? You know what I mean? So it's just, I think it's also hard too for nurses who work in labor and delivery because it's just like, you know more and you've seen so many more things. So it's, yeah. But you know, in my first pregnancy, I wouldn't have thought twice about this. I'd be like, oh, it probably doesn't matter. But you know, you just, you learn more and you see more. So what sounds like a small decision is that you learn is actually a very big decision. But yes, that advice is very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it seems like you have one of two good choices. You can go with an OBGYN whose practice you like, or you can go towards the midwifery experience that you're hoping to have. Both are good. Really, the only Mm -hmm. big risk is that one potentially weird moment where you have to show up at a hospital and be taken care of by someone you don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that could happen. It could happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that moment need to guide your entire prenatal care experience? I don't know. I don't know. I think that you're going to be well taken care of no matter what, because you're really smart and you're guiding your own care. So now you have to kind of sit with this for a little bit and think, okay, if I go for the midwife, does that feel good? And then try on the other shoe. Say, if I go with the OB that I like, is does that feel better? You know? Maybe go talk it through a little bit more. Go for another appointment and get some more information. Yes, that's my next plan. I have an appointment in a few weeks, so I'll chat. And the midwives are great about, you know, answering questions and talking about concerns that you have. So I think that will be very helpful, too. I bet they've had this conversation 200 times in the last two years. Probably. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) They know exactly how you're feeling. And they're going to help you. Yeah. So let's see. What else should we talk about before I let you off the hook? Um, so you've been a labor and delivery nurse for about a year? Yes. So how many births do you think you've been at the bedside for? Oh, I, (laughs) I don't know. Actually, the hospital that I work at is, um, it's a community hospital. Mm -hmm. So it's rather small. We have seven labor rooms. Um, and then we have a couple of postpartum rooms, um, but our rooms, they stay the same. So you deliver and then you stay in the same room. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We, we don't deliver a ton of babies. Sometimes we go a whole shift or I'll work, you know, two or three nights in a row and we don't even have a delivery. And then sometimes we'll have four in a 12 hour shift. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Are you I on nights? Know, at, at least 50. Yes, I am okay. on nights right now. Uh, I feel for you. And you're yeah. pregnant. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. But yeah. um, dur- actually, during my orientation, you know, when they train you, you I was on day shift. And um, although it's like, it's a lot easier on your body, and you're on a normal schedule, um, I would get up and leave for work, and my daughter would be asleep. Mm-hmm. And I would come home. And as I was getting home, she was just going to bed. Yeah. And those days were so hard because I'm just like, there's three out of four days of the week that I don't even get to see my baby. So um, at least working nights, I have a, you know, even if I work a couple of nights in a row, 
um, I still like get up during the day and like actually have some time to spend with her. So I get to spend time with her every day. So that's truly a blessing. Yeah, that's what kept me on night shift for 10 years Mm -hmm. was the whole childcare situation. I would work, you know, 7p to 7.30am. So that meant you know, mm-hmm. yeah, leaving that's what the I house at 6.30 and getting home at 8 in the morning. Yes. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe I could be part of the scramble of getting kids out the door. Or if there's a baby, nurse a baby and snuggle in for a little bit. Then the kids mm-hmm. are settled. I can sleep for maybe five or six hours. And then I can be with them in the afternoon. Maybe yes, that nap, maybe not. Uh-huh. But you can do that for a couple of nights in a row. Yes, that is exactly, sounds exactly like my schedule. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that for, well, we, I would do, you know, like three on, four off, two on, you know, you'd stagger it like that. Yeah, yes. There was no such thing as circadian rhythms. My body had no idea (laughs) day and night. No, no, not at all. (laughs) But the kids were all right. Yes, we do everything for them. Yeah, so. <laughs> we do. Don't do it too long, though. It's not healthy for us. Ugh, I know. Really not healthy. Yeah, that that came around to bite me in the ass pretty hard at uh, mm-hmm. at about the ten year mark or so. <laughs> yeah, twelve years, something like that. That was when it really turned on me. But yeah, hopefully you'll find your way to the perfect shift. You know, figure out how to. We'll get there. How to. Today. We'll yeah. just take it, take it as it comes, and it we'll won't get be there soon, at some you've point. Got another baby <laughs> no, it coming. Won't, it will not be anytime soon, and yeah. that's okay. I mean, I'm I'm young; I can do it for now. So plus night night right shift, there's good. a little bit more autonomy. There's yes. a lot of camaraderie. You get more. Yes, there is. Yeah, we have very great teamwork. I love my night shift coworkers. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They're the best. Yes. Yeah, and. You know, there's it's a more casual vibe on night shift. There are fewer procedures and, you know, uh, non-stress tests and inductions. I mean, you get the spontaneous labors. You get the people who are left over from day shift. You know, it's it's. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's an easier shift. It's just different because the other thing yes. that you get on night shift that you don't get on day shift is um, you get the patients coming in, but the doctors are at home. So you, you got to count on your nurses to make quick evaluations and get a physician there, you know, within 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. that's, yes, that's fun. And then you get the, <laughs> uh, the, the night shift that I don't, you know who I mean? <laughs> the, yes. The people yeah. That only come in on night shift, like mm-hmm. here in Portland, once a year, we have a big, um, carnival of the Rose Festival. And I, it would be the Friday night of the carnival and we would get so many women coming in at like one o'clock in the morning where they'd been on the tilt-a-whirl or the roller coaster (laughs) or they had eaten a whole bunch of chili dogs and it'd be a hot summer night and they'd get dizzy and somebody would whisk them to the emergency room and then the ER people would whisk them up to us and we'd ask a few questions and say, "Uh uh-huh, honey, so you're pregnant and so maybe the chili dog tilt world isn't a good idea. Yeah, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe not. I, we had a patient. <laughs> I Actually, I was working our triage area last night and I had a patient who she was trying to get, this poor girl was trying to get a, like her silverware plates down from a high shelf. And she said, well, 
I was up on a chair and I fell off the chair onto my onto my butt. And I said, oh, honey, you're like seven months pregnant. You shouldn't be standing on a chair. You know, you're like, oh, she, why do I have to explain these things to people? But I get it. I get it. She just wanted to get the darn silverware. Yes. If she had to you don't ask, ask for help all the time. Because they might not do it. Yes. <laughs> or they might get the wrong thing. All she wanted was to get that yes. darn thing. I get it. Yes. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> Uh, well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I have two more questions to ask you, and then we should okay. probably. I I get the uh, feeling that maybe you worked last night, and you have. I did. Yes. Did you sleep at all yet? Yes. Yeah. I I slept my normal five hours. Okay. It was like five and a half. Right. I usually sleep from like eight thirty until two. So. Yep. Prime um, hours. As they you know. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> I got up, took my shower, had my breakfast at, you know, 2 p.m. So I'm doing great. <laughs> Perfect. And are you going back tonight? No, I'm off this weekend. So I've got a whole a whole weekend, three nights off. So my husband and I have a, a date night without the toddler. So that'll be nice to have some time to ourselves good, tonight. Good. And yeah. how many shifts did you just do in a row? Um, I just did two. In a row. Okay. That's, yes. that's not bad. That's doable. That's doable. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, I don't know. Night shift survivors, we grill each other about sleep like new parents do. We talk about it in terms of, I got two hours last night. I got five <laughs> yes. hours between shifts. Oh, my God. Yes. We ran four C-sections and I only had three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sleep survivors. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. How would you fill in the blank on this statement? Nobody ever, nobody ever told me that. Um, oh, <laughs> I didn't think about this one. Nobody ever told um, me that. Hmm. Well, I, I guess, you know, I, I think my answer is kind of funny because people did tell me, but you still don't realize how many ups and downs there are Mm -hmm. in, in being a mom. Mm -hmm. And even when people do give you advice and they do tell you things, you just don't realize until you go through it. Like there's so many high moments and, you know, so many wonderful things about being a mom. And there's a lot of hard moments too. Um, you know, just with, I, I remember, you know, just early breastfeeding and how tired and exhausted you can be. And, um, even still, you know, just challenges with different milestones and ages. And there's just so much you don't know, how, like the, the struggles and the joys until you go through it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. You don't know it till you're mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. yeah. So then my last question is, where are you in your life in terms of motherhood? <laughs> um. This one I actually did think about. <laughs> I knew you would ask me this. Um, and even with ups and downs, um, I feel like I'm just really in a spot of gratitude. I have, um, like I said, my 18-month-old. She is so like happy and full of life, and I love seeing that. Like She just brings so much joy to my life. Mm-hmm. And you just you don't realize how complete you're life is until you really feel that love. So I'm just very thankful that I have that in my life and that, um, I'm able to see her grow and learn 
and try new things. And she's just at that funny age where um, you can you can see she's thinking about stuff. Like you can see the wheels turning and she's getting her own ideas and opinions. And I'm just wondering like, what are you thinking? What, like, what's going to be your next move? What are you doing? And it's just amazing to like see that growth and you look at that and you're like, wow, I made that, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that. Isn't it amazing? That, wow. That came out of me. That's <laughs> mine. How did that happen? So, um, I'm just so grateful that I have a, a wonderful, um, wonderful daughter and great, supportive husband too and that um we're all happy and healthy so that's kind of where I'm at that's a pretty good place to be and that yeah that you know looking at your kids with the with an eye on wonder you know and just being fascinated with who they are as far as I can tell it keeps on going my kids are yeah. you know <laughs> grown-ups many of them and I'm still looking at them <laughs> going wow I made you now, of course, mm-hmm. mostly they've made themselves, but still, I'm going to take what credit yes. I can. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Rachel, this has just been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Our guest today was Rachel. And like most nurses who come on the podcast, Rachel is going on a first name basis only. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. That's J-E-A-N-N-E. Faulkner is F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R. Email me, jean at jeanfaulkner. Tweet me at jeanfaulkner. Please go pick up a copy of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, and make sure that you leave me a review on Amazon um, and leave a review over on iTunes or Stitcher for the podcast. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk again next week. Mama